Even as a photographer, it's really important to do your research. So not only researching the issue or the topic by reading about it, but also looking at other work that has been created on the topic. So you can make sure that you're actually adding something to the conversation, that you're not just perpetuating potentially harmful stereotypes or you know, replicating powerful work that has already been done. Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be learning from photojournalist Danielle Villasano. Danielle's work has taken her all over the world, from Nigeria and Bangladesh to Honduras and Tunisia. Her images have been published in a wide array of publications, including National Geographic, The Washington Post, and The New York Times, and they've earned her widespread recognition. She is a National Geographic Explorer, a Magnum Foundation awardee, Women Photograph grantee, and an International Women's Media Foundation fellow. Danielle is also an activist whose personal documentary work focuses on human rights, gender, displacement, and health, with a focus on Latin America. In this interview, we'll hear about a photo book she published in Peru that literally changed a healthcare system. She's also passionate about ensuring that the visual media industry become more inclusive, diverse, and equitable. In 2017, she co-founded We Women, an ongoing platform exploring crucial issues across the U.S. through photo-based community engagement projects by women and gender non-conforming artists. A year later, she joined the board of Authority Collective, a group of women, non-binary, and gender-expansive lens-based professionals working to take action against systemic and individual abuses in the visual media industries. Most recently, in 2020, she helped co-author the Photo Bill of Rights, and we'll hear a lot more about that in this interview. Danielle spoke to me from her home in Istanbul, Turkey. Since she was Art Restart's first photojournalist guest, I warned her that I might be asking her some rookie questions. So I started with one, maybe. I started by asking her whether she considers herself primarily a journalist or a photographer. Danielle spoke to me from her home in Istanbul, Turkey. Since she's Art Restart's first photojournalist guest, I warned her that I might be asking her some rookie questions, and in fact, I think I started with one. I asked her whether she considers herself primarily a journalist or a photographer. First of all, thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to be the first photojournalist on the podcast. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is a quote that I live by that is something that my mentor Donna DeCesare said a long time ago that always stuck with me, which is you are a human being first and a journalist second. And I try to live by that and work by that and really think about my role as a storyteller, my impact as a storyteller, whether that's positive or negative what I can do beyond photography to create positive impact. And that also helps me sort of navigate 
difficult situations when I'm actually working. I try to guide myself with that sentiment and sort of use that sentiment to help guide me through any sort of ethical challenges or issues that I might face while working as a photographer. And so such such as like what are what are difficult situations that you described that you're comfortable talking about? One example would be I was working on a story in San Pedro Sula, Honduras, a few years ago about how neighborhoods have changed due to gang violence and and conflict between gangs. But the reporter and I wanted to focus not only on the sort of negative aspects of that, you know, San Pedro Sula is infamously known as one of the most violent neighborhoods in the country. Of course, we didn't want to omit that from the narrative because that is a part of the truth of San Pedro Sula, but we also wanted to focus on people within the community from youth activists to pastors who are working to create a better, safer environment for people who live in San Pedro Sula. Part of that work, of course, had me photographing in neighborhoods that are controlled by gangs, and I had the opportunity to meet a gang or members of a gang and photograph them, and I decided not to because I felt that that wasn't going to really add anything to the story. I felt that that could potentially set me up for photographing images that uphold stereotypes of the neighborhood. And I really wanted to show images that challenge people's ideas and perceptions of, again, this neighborhood that has been photographed over and over and over again with the sort of stereotypical imagery of just gang members covered in tattoos. This was on assignment, I'm, I'm gathering. Actually, it was um, part, uh, we were there on a reporting trip with the International Women's Media Foundation, but we did pitch the story and it eventually published in The Atlantic. And I remember they ran 12 pictures. I was very happy about that. Wow. <laughs> Are your artist self and your journalist self basically both sides of the storyteller coin? I decided to be a photojournalist because... I felt that a photograph can raise awareness about injustices and human rights abuses around the world. So I came at it from a very information-based point of view rather than an artistic point of view. I mean, I, I fell in love with photography because I felt it was a very powerful communications tool. And so when I look back at my work and college, I see that I have evolved in terms of how my eye has become more artistic and less sort of information driven. But now I try really hard to blend the two. I try really hard to share information through aesthetically pleasing images that will attract a viewer and entice a viewer to the image so that they end up learning more about the issue. So I really try to pair both of those really important aspects of photojournalism, which is information and aesthetics, into one frame. 
But when I started in photojournalism, it was very much just, you know, what is the story? What is the information? Photograph it. And much less, how do I photograph this in a way that is aesthetically pleasing? But now I try to do that a little bit more, which I guess makes me artistic. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I came at it with a much more um, bland, like information, communication. This is my tool. At what point in your career did you come to understand this particular responsibility that you have as a visual teller of other stories? You know, I I grew up in the United States. Um, I grew up not rich, but privileged. I'm a white Hispanic woman. And when I found myself in college at the University of Texas, taking a class on race and ethnicity in the media, my eyes were really open to the many ways that the visual media industry and the media industry at large has a long legacy of, you know, problematic practices of power being held and maintained by only a small fraction of society and how the media has even been used as a tool to sustain those power structures, to sustain racism, sexism, etc. And when I took this course on race and ethnicity in the media, it was a huge eye opener, despite the fact that, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a white Hispanic woman, and of course, sort of face my own sort of challenges growing up. But even then, when I learned about privilege, and when I learned about how the media has been used as a tool over the decades to perpetuate these issues, it was I mean, it it changed my life. It was probably one of the most important courses I took in college. Were you already a photographer by then? This was when I, well, I mean, I started photography when I was in high school. So it depends on (laughs) your definition Mm -hmm. of photographer. But I mean, I started, you know, making pictures in high school and then took a hiatus, a four-year hiatus between high school and college until I discovered that I wanted to be a photojournalist. And when I finally started studying photojournalism is when I took this course on race and ethnicity in the media. So, you know, I was in my mid-20s. I was sort of already grappling with issues such as disparities and uh, injustice and what I could do as a photographer to address those issues in my work. But I would say that I entered college with a much more naive perspective or innocent perspective about uh, photography's role. And when I started my work photographing LGBTQIA communities in Texas as a college student, I was very aware of the stereotypes that can negatively harm the LGBTQIA community. And so I started a project about LGBTQIA families in Texas, because in the United States, now this was uh, many years ago now, but um, I would be curious to see if it's still the same. But despite the fact that the LGBTQIA community is sort of more restricted in terms of protections and even uh, societal acceptance in the Southern United States, it's has the highest number of LGBTQIA families. So I felt that was a really interesting sort of dichotomy and wanted to explore that. And so I photographed 
different LGBTQIA families in Texas and really tried to focus on their daily life as families and not necessarily their day-to-day struggles. And in that project, I met a transgender woman named Nikki Araguz, who was sort of an accidental activist. And I learned so much from her about the particular issues that trans people face and trans women in particular. And that sort of kickstarted a now decades-long project photographing transgender communities throughout primarily Latin America. When I started that project, I was very aware of the stereotypes, again, that negatively harm trans women. They're stereotypes that have been perpetuated by storytellers who tend to focus on only one aspect of their lives, as opposed to the wide range of what trans women face and encounter and go through in their day-to-day lives. And I really wanted to strive for a balance in my work to show not only the challenges that trans women in Latin America face, because there are many, many challenges, but also their daily lives with friends and family and partners as a way to paint a more balanced, complex picture of trans women to push against those stereotypes. And so that project, that personal project, really helped me also take that sentiment to my work in general, whether I was on assignment or working on a different personal project, I've always tried really hard to show the full picture and the you know the larger picture and not just focus on one aspect of an issue, which again, typically can sensationalize a particular community or geographic location or issue if we're only focusing on one aspect of the story. So that's how I have evolved in my thinking in terms of trying my hardest not to perpetuate stereotypes in my work. Also, the call to prayer just started. So okay, that's what I was going to ask. That's yeah. right. I was going to ask if that's what it is. Great. Yeah. So, um, so what goes into that type of work? You say you want to give a kind of a multiplicity of perspectives. You possibly don't want to insert your own story too much into the stories you're photographing. What What do you have to be careful of? What goes into this work? I think as a Even as a photographer, it's really important to do your research. So not only researching the issue or the topic by reading about it, but also looking at other work that has been created on the topic. So you can make sure that you're actually adding something to the conversation, that you're not just perpetuating potentially harmful stereotypes or you know, replicating powerful work that has already been done. So when I approach a topic that I want to take on as a as a personal project, I try to really question myself and ask myself, do I have anything new to add? Do I have any authority to photograph this issue? Who am I to photograph this issue? What can I bring to photographing this issue? And of course, those answers can be found in researching what's out there. So I do a lot of research leading up to personal projects. Now with, you know, one-off assignments, it's not always possible. And, you know, you take the assignments that you can get because we all have to pay our bills. 
but um, in terms of my own personal work, you know, I try to to make sure that I'm actually offering something different and, and new to the conversation. Okay, so you just brought up paying bills, the industry side of things. Uh, when, when the pandemic started, one of the things you did is you co-wrote the photo bill of rights. Can you tell me about it and what kind of abuses and inequities in the industry it seeks to redress? Yeah, so the Photo Bill of Rights was a group effort by more than 10 lens-based workers within the visual media industry. And we came together at the encouragement of Oriana Curran to work on this living document called the Photo Bill of Rights that addresses the many issues and problems facing the visual media industry that were exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic and that really brought to the surface these ongoing inequities within the visual media industry, everything from racism to sexism, harassment, low pay, bias. So we really outlined as much as we could <laughs> in terms of the the issues that our that our industry is still facing and after the uh protests protesting the murder of George Floyd it became even more urgent and more important for us to publish the photo bill of rights and put it out there into the world because again those series of atrocious events really again sort of highlighted the fact that we're still facing a lot of issues within not only society but within the visual media industry and one thing that is really great about the Photo Bill of Rights is that it doesn't only outline issues around health and safety, finance, abuse, and sexual misconduct, but also provides information about what those issues are and why they're issues, as well as steps, action steps that you can take as a lens-based worker or as a hiring party, such as an editor, to address those issues within your own practice. And beyond that, we also created toolkits so that people can take these actionable steps and put them into practice. So we have toolkits for lens-based workers as well as hiring parties. Um, so basically toolkits for photographers, videographers, etc., as well as for editors. And we even created a section of the website called Beyond the Bill, which goes even deeper and further into issues such as, you know, working in community, fostering community between one another, implicit bias, um, language and how important the language is that we use as, you know, creators within the visual media industry. It was a really, really, really massive project and again was written by more than 10 people within the visual media industry from a lot of different grassroots photo organizations such as the Everyday Projects, um, Women Photograph, The Authority Collective, Indigenous Photograph, and uh, yeah, and then of course we had, we invited people to sign 
the photo bill of rights. Um, so we have over 2000 signatures to the photo bill of rights. Wow, and that is an amazing, impactful accomplishment. What kind of impact do you feel your personal photographic work has had out in the world? What I have tried to do in my personal work, and again, it's not always possible with every single personal project because we are one person, we're one individual, which is why I love also collaborating with others because you can share the labor of trying to create social change, which is a big task. <laughs> but when possible, I try to use my photography beyond just the realm of photojournalism or photography, for example, whether that's publishing a photo book that's then used as an educational tool. And to give a specific example, my long-term work that I did in Peru photographing communities of trans women was published as a photo book in 2018, but the intention was to use it as an educational tool. I did not make it for the photo community. I wanted to make it for people within Peru who really needed to see this work, such as healthcare workers or people within the educational spaces, because those are sectors where trans women face a lot of discrimination. And thankfully, because the book was funded through a Kickstarter campaign, I was able to, I didn't need to sell the books to like make the money back. So most of the books were donated to healthcare facilities and hospitals and universities throughout Lima. And we also gave presentations in conjunction with, you know, the distribution. And I partnered with Leila Huerta, who is a very prominent trans activist in Lima. And we partnered with Amnesty International and a university in Peru to... Wow. Yeah, to sort of, you know, cross, you know, I, I think, you know, there are objectives that are shared among different disciplines, right? And so we're all using our particular tools to try to chip away at that goal. And so when we can partner and collaborate and use our tools, all of our different, you know, variety of tools to work together to try to achieve that goal, I mean, that's ideal because then you're coming at, you know, an issue from all angles. And so that was one way that I tried to use my photography beyond just creating an image. And um, just to wrap that one example up, the hospital where two of the women I had photographed who unfortunately passed away, both from AIDS and pneumonia, tuberculosis, that hospital, the same year that I published this photo book, uh, opened up the country's first consultation area specifically for trans women. So when trans women go to the hospital, they, there's a sector of the hospital that's specifically for trans women where they don't have to worry about running into other patients who might say something discriminatory where they know that they will be greeted by a fellow trans woman to help them check in to figure out where they need to go that they will feel confident that the healthcare professionals who will be working with them are educated about the particular issues that trans women face because discrimination within the healthcare sector is a really 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 big problem which of course affects the health of trans women and is this sort of like snowball effect. So, and, and the doctor who sort of spearheaded this consultation area said that 
you know, when I, when I was blown away when he told me about this, this is, I mean, Peru is a very conservative country. It's very unusual for something like this to happen. Of course, it's a huge positive step in ensuring that trans women have access to, to health care. And I said, wow, you know, thank you so much. Of course, it was bittersweet because, like I said, two of the women who I had photographed had received care in that hospital and, and had passed away. And he said, no, thank you. Like, had it not been for your work as a photographer, I would have never known that this issue was literally happening in the backyard of, you know, this hospital. And the same day that they opened up the consultation area, we also had a photo exhibition within the hospital. And it was really cool seeing like nurses and patients and family members of patients like checking out this photo exhibition within the hospital so it wasn't you know in some museum or gallery space but to me that was so much more impactful than you know than well it speaks it speaks to the the building community that you that you want to yeah and 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 just creating impact beyond you know our insular world of you know, photojournalism, you know, trying to think about how, how we can get these stories out into the public, because so often, it can be very insular. And finally, can you talk about an upcoming personal project that you're particularly excited about? So I'm part of a collective called Ayun Fotografas, and we're a collective of eight women photographers united by Latin America. And we ran a print sale this year to raise funds for a project that we want to start together looking at access to maternal health care within Latin America. So that is definitely on the horizon. I'm hoping to look at how climate change is affecting women's access to maternal health care within Central America, probably specifically Nicaragua, but we're still sort of, I'm still in the research uh, phase of it. But hopefully that'll be another um, group project. Again, I love working with other people. I love working in collaboration. I love all of the perspectives that each individual can bring to a certain issue or project. You know, again, we all have a lot to learn from each other. If you'd like to learn more about Danielle and read a longer version of this interview, please visit uncsa.edu slash art restart. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be delighted if you'd let us know by rating the podcast and maybe, who knows, even leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. And click that follow or subscribe button so you don't miss our upcoming episodes. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thanks so much for listening.